welcome back to What the HR Podcast. I'm Jesse Novi, an HR business partner with CH Robinson. And I'm Mike Tool, HR technology consultant with SAP SuccessFactors. Welcome back to another episode of What the HR. Today, we're joined by Doug Shapiro, who is the VP of Research and Insights at OFS, which is a global office and healthcare furniture manufacturer. He is also the host of the Imagine a Place podcast, which has published over 100 episodes exploring the power of design and creative thinking to change lives. His guests share insights, stories, and big ideas that inspire courage and curiosity. Doug's background contains over 17 years of collaborating with world-class designers on crafting products and strategies for more human-centered spaces. For over two years, he's been hosting design-centered conversations and panels. In this episode, we leveraged Doug's expertise to discuss the importance of human-centered spaces and the impact that they have on building engagement. This was such a fun episode to record. Doug was an incredible guest, and the topic is so relevant to how we've historically thought about our workspaces and how we need to pivot in the way that we think about them going forward. We encourage you to listen all the way through as Doug poses an important question at the end, which is how important is laughter in the workplace? We'd love to know what you think. So while you're out there leaving us a podcast rating and review, let us know what your thoughts are. A huge thanks to Doug and a big thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope that you love this episode. All right. Well, Doug, welcome to the What the HR podcast. We're really excited to have you today. Thank you. Super happy to be here with you. Great. Well, why don't we get things started with you sharing with our listeners uh, what workplace culture means to you? How, how would you describe it? Sure. I love talking about culture and thinking about culture. I had a friend tell me that culture is a liquid, not a solid, right? You can't just set it in place and walk away from it. You have to continually shape it and work on it. And I think that's actually been one of the challenges uh, just in the whole history of workplace is how we evolve and shape culture. If you think about what's happened and how we're working now, so many people have, for the first time, they've worked for decades, right? And for the first time, they're finding their balance or they're, they are saying, I'm more productive now than I've ever been. And you're thinking, I'm thinking like, well, how did this happen? How could we work? this long. And then, you know, of course the pandemic comes and then we all change how we work and now people are working better. And to me, I, the big question I want to ask is how did we get here? And it relates to culture because if we don't ask that question, then we're at risk of the same thing happening again, right? We'll fall behind. People may not be fulfilling their best selves. So the way I think about it is imagine two lines, okay, on a graph. You've got one line that's culture and you've got another line that's technology and tools. Okay. Maybe 15 years ago, those were exactly in the same spot on this graph. Okay. Now technology and tools goes up, up, up at this faster pace. Culture just kind of irks along. So now there's a gap between workplace culture and what's possible, right? And I think that gap, in that gap was all the laundry loads that were hard to get to. <laughs> it was rushed dinners, lack of people focusing on health, right? There was a gap of, of, of what was possible. 
that we weren't achieving because our workplace culture didn't keep pace with technology and tools because culture doesn't really change at the same rate. And so I think uh, we had a little shock to the system, right? Workplace culture goes through this dramatic change. It jumps up and it meets technology and tools where they're at. So now we're using all the great tools that we've always had and we're thinking about them differently. And so I think the, the thing we have to know is that that pace of change will continue to increase, right? We'll be capable of more and more and more. And if we never take a hard look at our culture and make sure it's keeping pace, then we're going to be behind again. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the explorations with culture that I love to think about. <clears throat> I always joke, that it's, it's like you have to leave your culture plugged in and connected to Wi-Fi overnight because it needs an update all the time. Mm-hmm. So why do you, why do you think that occurred? Do you think when you were describing your graph specifically, do you think that was um, laziness? You know, like, oh, things are fine. Nothing's broken. So why fix it? Or is it a lack of companies investing in, you know, even though technology on your graph was shooting up, which I agree with, I also think that there were probably a lot of companies that were still working out of off of desktop computers versus laptops and never thought about, you know, what might happen if I were to think about upgrading all of my employees to laptops that could allow them flexibility to come and go. Or maybe it's something that I didn't that I didn't mention that you would add. Well, I think it's it's a combination of things. I think you have <clears throat> decades of success that are reinforcing the idea that the way we did things works, right? And when you have that, it's hard to argue with that. But the reality is the future is on a different plane than the past, right? So you have to think differently about it. But that, I think, um, was holding culture back. I think another thing is that it's it may be a form of laziness, but like you know, your your brain forms habits. It has to. You 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 have to have habits in your life because you can't think critically about everything you do. It's just too much work. Mm-hmm. So your brain forms habits to save energy, um, and that's a trap we kind of get ourselves into. And so, in fact, as we, you know, it's been two and a half years as we formed new habits, uh, we have to make sure that. As you know, we said when we were discussing earlier, just because you have a new routine doesn't mean that's a good routine either. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and so I think some of it is just honestly being in a routine. Do you think that fear played a part at all? Because you had made a comment about, um, and I'm not going to quote you a, like word for word here, but you know, this is working. This is working. We don't we don't need to make a change. Things are fine. But if if there's any organization out there that's listening that had some sort of a listening strategy prior to COVID, they were probably hearing things in their listening strategy, such as my employees are burnt out, or my employees are looking for more flexibility, or my employees would like to, the opportunity to work remotely um, and have more freedom and autonomy. But oftentimes, you know, even though em- employees were asking for these things, there were probably a lot of companies out there that were reluctant to make any changes based on what was shared in those listening strategies. Yeah, um, that's a great point. I think that the fear of that is big. I mean, I... I I don't know that we could have gotten to where we would we would take it would have taken a decade 
right, to get to where we are now in terms of our freedom in work. Um, and, and I think you're right. Probably at the root of that is, is that fear of change. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I look at work now and, um, there's a whole host of things that we've needed to think differently about, not just culture, right. But the space itself, the purpose of work, um, what we need to bring into our places. <clears throat> so there is, there, there are all these kind of jumps and these gaps that we're leveling up to now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. So, um, you know, we, we gave an intro of you at the top of the podcast, but I would love for our listeners to maybe get some insights into, into why we're talking about culture specifically, and maybe even, um, to go even broader workspaces. So can you share a little bit about your background and works in workspaces and how you believe workspaces can account for unique needs that employers are trying to meet for their employee base? Yeah, absolutely. Well, my my background personally, so I I've been in the workplace design and workplace products industry for almost eighteen years, and in the beginning, I, I focused a lot on developing and designing office furniture. Right, so I would work with product designers, and I would bring these products to market. And as part of design um, thinking, as you would expect. You don't just start with the object, you start with the context, right? So we were thinking about how people were working, right? How they were spending their day, what is the future of work going to be like? And I found myself way more uh, interested in the context than the actual object. And so I began to shift my role outward into kind of the exploration of workplace and uh, what's working and what isn't and what is the future of work. Um, and so as I've worked with uh, workplace designers and product designers, I've kind of gathered different trends and different um, ways the workplace is shifting. And so I think there are there are four key things that I'm focused in on right now and, and researching. Um, the first one is really how workplace is becoming less precious. Mm. And I think that word precious captures a few things. First, there's this general casualization of work. I don't even know if that's a word, but we're going to use it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Everything's becoming more casual, right? Our communication is becoming more casual, our dress. And then the way spaces reflect that in our culture are changing. We're picking more honest materials, more matte finishes, right? Um, And more casual, softer sits. So there is this casualization. I think that's a really good thing. I think it's encouraging people to be more human, right? This work, you don't have to be a work robot. And um, I mean, nobody, nobody ever would have imagined 10 years ago that a CEO of a Fortune 500 company would s- conduct business over text messages with emojis in them, right? It just, <laughs> you couldn't even imagine, right? And it's here and that's how we're communicating. Um, but then there's something else too, like work in general as part of this movement towards being less precious is becoming less ubiquitous. It's not this like uniform place uh, that's full of formalities. Um, and the key behind this is choice. We're giving people choice. So it's not just about choice of whether you come into the place or not, but when you're at that workplace, what kind of choice are you given? And that's what we're seeing a big movement towards. Uh, and that choice is not just reflected 
on the task that you have at hand. So maybe you need a focus area or maybe you need group work area or, or you want just a spot to connect, but also a uh, choice in terms of how you yourself are wired, right? We're recognizing the spectrum of minds. I mean, if I asked you to describe a normal person, like how would you even start, right? <laughs> There's no such thing as a normal person. So um, the idea is that the, the workplace needs to reflect that. And so, you know, a uniform place where everybody gets the same place to sit with the same colors and everything's just cookie cutter doesn't really reflect the nature of our minds and how we're wired. Um, so we're seeing a choice in terms of, you know, people who maybe are, let's say, hyposensitive that need high energy to do their best work, right? Spaces of high traffic, brighter colors, more movement. Um, and then you have the people that are hypersensitive that just need, you know, more seclusion, quieter spaces. We're finding areas, you know, workplaces that can accom accommodate both of those um, uh, minds. And so the, the, the next movement outside of being less precious is I'm seeing an investment in flexibility. Um, and this is, you know, as, as disruptive as the last two years have been, I almost feel like this is a preview to the rest of our careers. You know, the pace of change won't be slowing down. Competition won't be slowing down. It's coming from everywhere, right? Um, what we need out of human capital is completely changing. It's moving from, uh, you know, knowledge to creativity, right? As AI comes in and changes the way we work. So flexibility will be key. And I'm, I'm seeing it show up in workplaces. People are investing less in formal brick and mortar wall, you know, former formal drywall set forms of separation. They're investing more in like soft architecture pieces that you can move around. Um, everything seems to be on wheels now, right? Which is, which is great. You're empowering your employees to kind of build the environment that's right for them. Um, so that's been another fun change I've, I've been witnessing. Um, and I, I would say that's been coming for a long time. And I think, uh, again, just like many things, just the last two years has accelerated that investment. Doug, do you think, so you mentioned the spaces need to have areas for both or two types of people, people that I would just say maybe extrovert versus, <clears throat> versus introvert, just to make it simple in my mind. Um, we we had the period where everything was about open spaces, right? Everybody together. And I thought that was okay for some, but then there was people that like myself, I liked it sometimes, but I also wanted an area right where I could actually work because I'm the type that if I'm with people, I'm just talking, I'm not actually working. But I'm curious, when you think about the design of offices, do you think that the pandemic and the fact that afterwards nobody wanted to return to work, not, I mean, most people, do you think that exposed flawed designs that people had? And do you think they can, because there are a lot of companies that want people back in the office. And I'm curious if the way they have that designed will, can impact that. Do you know what I'm asking there? Yeah, I think you're a hundred percent correct. Um, I mean, there are, we all know there are places that we walk into that uh, depress us. And there are places that you walk into where you instantly feel a sort of belonging, a sort of energy, right? Um, mm -hmm. So just at the, at the fun, like even less of a functional design, but more of a, how does this place make you feel, right? Mm -hmm. So at that level, right? 
there's that going on. But then you layer onto that. Can I do my best work? You know, even if it makes you feel great, can I do my best work in this place? Um, and I, I think at the core of this too is while yes, we, a lot of people were discouraged to come back to a place where they felt that they didn't belong or didn't do great work. Um, there's also this re-understanding of why we have that place to begin with. Like, why do we need to all come to an office uh, to do work, right? I, I found it, it was related to um, a movie theater. Somebody related to movie theater. Like, I can watch Netflix at home, right? I got all this entertainment. I got Wi-Fi. Why do I need to come to the movie theater to watch a movie? But you go to a movie theater for a very different experience, right? And I think they had their identity crisis, like the movie theaters. They had their identity crisis long before the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we're having a little bit of that same identity crisis where it was like the workplace was a place you had to go. Well, now it's more, um, it's more like a consumer product, the workplace is. You know, it's an amenity. You have a choice whether to go there. So what does it need to do that you can't do at home? And the movie theater had to answer that question, right? What what needs to happen there, right? So maybe you can share this great dinner out. You know, there's all these there's all these ways movie theaters have changed, and um, I'm kind of seeing this in work, which is um, creativity and connection are the two things that I'm latching onto. And if you think about here's a different here's a different way to think about place too, and how place can support things that you can't get at home, and when you start to shape place around those things, then it becomes more purposeful, more meaningful. People will go there when they need to. Um, if you think about the most important moments that happen over a sports season, let's just use a sports team, like so a soccer team, right? It might be a game-winning goal. Maybe it was a halftime speech that changed the direction of the team, right? You can always pick out those really special moments. And I think a work year is no different, right? Like mm -hmm. what are the what are the most important moments that happened in a work year. And if you think about those moments, chances are they didn't happen in your inbox by yourself in your basement or your spare bedroom, right? It probably happened in a team meeting. Um, and it doesn't just mean for the, for the whole work force, what is those most important moments, but even individually, maybe somebody for the first time felt like work family. Right. And, and they decided to stay. They were going to leave, but they decided to stay. So, like that moment happens. Um, that moment happens probably in a place with other people. Mm -hmm. And that place would be the workplace. And if you think about how do we design workplaces to support those more episodic work, you know, important moments, creative moments, connection where people can feel like they belong to something. And I'm, I'm you know, the spaces that we walked away from in 2020, those were not those spaces, right? Mm -hmm. those, were, those were more focused on how do we support individualized work? You know, yes, we need some of that, but we need much more of a place that will support creativity. You know, how, how are we getting to that next big idea? How are we making people feel like they're valued? Um, and, I, you know, even, even like, the, you know, the place in general, it's constantly sending cues. Am I investing in my people? If I'm, you know, if I'm giving my my employees healthy options, 
you know, if I'm showing them physically through their space that I'm investing in you, I'm bringing plant life in, this is for you, you know, uh, you're sending those cues. And I think that that's another part of what place can do for people that's hard to do from your home. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about how people can do that or, or maybe how you help, you know, clients create that, that space. So that, I know what you're saying, um, but I'm just curious on some of the specifics maybe around the design of that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So there's, you know, there's different layers to that. So, you know, the first is we talked about the office being less precious and ubiquitous and having more choice. Right. And so I think one way to do it is to think as to think of the workplace, not just as a place, right. Not just like as this whole thing, but to think of it more as a network of settings mm -hmm. and what do those settings need to do? What do each of these settings need to accommodate? So it's just a more granular way of thinking about place and then um, kind of understanding goals you have um, inside of that place and then developing these settings, right? And that's when we kind of get into the, um, the bits of soft architecture we talked about where you're building out kind of smaller, more creative areas within an area. Mm -hmm. um, the next I would say is this investment and in flexibility. And that's really about how do we empower flexibility, let's say on three levels. One is, if I come to work, can I work differently today than I worked yesterday, right? The next level is, can my team, can my team get together? And as my team moves from one phase of a project to a new phase of a project, is my team empowered to create a space that works for them as a group, right? And then the third level of flexibility is, if everything like if we have to send everybody home, how are we going to adapt? You know, are there tools in the workplace that they can bring with them to make home more ergonomic, uh, to make home more work friendly? Um, and is there a way that we can recreate our space if, let's say, um, we shift our workforce in five years from, you know, Fifty percent knowledge work, fifty percent creative work, to eighty percent creative work, twenty percent knowledge work. Right? How do we reshape our place uh, to accommodate that and not just throw a bunch of things away? Mm -hmm. um, so those are, you know, that's how we maybe think about flexibility. Um, well-being is another place where, again, that's about sending those cues. Are we are we bringing daylight in, or are we, you know? Are we saving it just for the perimeter private offices, right? How do we make daylight more democratized? Um, and by the way, if you're working from home, that's my one biggest tip is you have to have daylight. Like if you think that you can just hang out in your basement, you will crush yourself. Like you have to work it into your day. Even if you don't have a window, you know, you have to just get outside. Um, I was going to ask you on that actually is yeah. so we, people talked about being so much more productive at home through the pandemic. And I'm wondering if I'm, I'm guessing, cause I remember even still, but right when the, when we kind of shut down, there was people working from any room, right? There were some people in closets and there were some people at their kitchen table. And I'm wondering if that productivity maybe went down for some, it went up for others, but how to design your space at home. I know we've, you know, people have given tips and tricks there, but ha have you seen anything to the last couple of years in terms of how you should work at home and what's the best way to do it? Definitely. Um, I, I think that some people 
view taking time, maybe even like a half a day, four hours to rearrange your space, right? That, 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 that feels selfish, you know, or they don't give themselves a permission to take an entire day to build the right place, but it is not selfish. I mean, it's necessary and the way you'll feel and the work you'll do in that place will far outweigh the day you spent to create it. And so I think some of it is just giving people permission to say, invest in that place, um, you know, plant life. So sunlight's one plant life is another big one where you have to have some plant life around you, even if it's fake, right? It'll give you that same creative energy and stress relief that biophilia naturally does for us. Um, and then ergonomics are essential. Like you can't just, you just can't sit in, in any chair day after day. Um, and to think that one place is going to meet all your needs is probably unrealistic too, right? You have a lot of needs as a human. And if work is your opportunity to connect and interact with others, you know, you don't, you know, don't take that away from yourself as well. For many people, it is. Other people may have other outlets for that, right? But for many people, work is that place. Um, and then there's like a difference between working in the business and working on the business, right? When you're working in the business, home is a great place to do that. When you're working on the business, it's about kind of developing, uh, you know, more trust and um, better ways to do things as a team. And so you need that team time too. And so that's where I'm saying, you know, those are those reasons you're going into the office is to be with, with others. So <clears throat> one more question, Jess, and then I'll, I'll be quiet for a little bit, but I was thinking about, as you were talking about kind of designing the spaces. And I would say one of the problems I have, like personally with work flexibility and being able to go in or stay at home is going in and not having my own space there. Like it drives me crazy knowing that when I show up, I don't know what computer I'm going to sit at. I don't know if there's going to be a keyboard, um, things like that. So I'm, I'm wondering what your opinion on in terms of, because I get it. Companies like our company used to ask us, if you're going to be here 50% of the time, we'll give you a desk. So like, I understand that, but is there something to making sure that everybody does have a space that's easy to connect into? Because at, at home, right, I sit down, I'm online. And yeah. to me, that's the worst part about going to the office. Jess, I don't know how, how you feel, but I don't have an, an office there or even a cube with my name on it anymore. And that just gives me pause. Like, I don't want to go through that. It goes back to our earlier conversation on like, how do workplaces account for the unique needs? Because Mike's unique need is probably very different from somebody else's who's like, oh, I love that I can just come in and find an open space that is in a location that maybe I've never sat in before and it's going to spice things up for me today. Or I like bringing my own keyboard in with me because I don't want to use somebody else's keyboard. I don't know if it got cleaned in the night before, you know, like there's just so many nuances. We're complex individuals as Doug mentioned before. So I would, yeah, I would love to hear your response on that, Doug. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally understand Michael's plight here. And, you know, I, I think about our, our relationship as humans to place. Like, I, I think there's, it's something like within three hours, 
people form an emotional connection to place. So if you're in a bar and you're sitting on a stool and you've been there for three hours, right? You could sit on any stool. If you got up and you left and you came back an hour later, you would want to be back in that stool. There's just a, it's the way we work, right? If you think about, you know, where you sit at the dinner table, Michael, I know you've got kids, Jess, I don't know if you do, but you know, everybody's probably all in the same spot, right? (laughs) So there is a, there is an emotional attachment there. And so when you kind of take that away, um, you lose a piece of ownership. I think there's ways to give people a sense of ownership in place that doesn't have to be, you know, um, a name tag. Examples of this are like if you can provide the ultimate amount of personalization, which is, you know, if my desk is height adjustable, it doesn't mean just sitting or stand. It means getting the right height for me, right? If I've got monitors on arms that are very adjustable, if I have down lighting that is adjusted to my level of needs, right? So I'm not just under this, you know, fluorescent blob of light. But if I'm able to really personalize my space, I can create that sense of ownership and, you know, that would be one way to get over it. Um, And then the other way is really, this is a question more than an answer. Like I'm, I'm curious about the new rhythm of work. Like, have we found it yet? Which is this, you know, understanding when we're at home, why we're at home and scheduling our work weeks one way and then we're we're coming into the office and and michael's not even like doesn't even need to sit by himself because like that day or two days or whatever it is or three days are entirely based around creative work co-working ideation and i don't know that we've kind of found that rhythm yet where there is this kind of breathe in breathe out you know individual group work that's more orchestrated uh, we were all in such a rhythm right before this, and I still feel like we're just trying to figure it out. It's a really mm-hmm. good point. It's a it's a great point because I feel like, and you hear it all the time. Why do I have to go in when I can do what I do at home? Well, if the reason you go in is so you, because you can't do that work at home, is I think is what you're saying, right? Like, so the time that we're going into the office, maybe the agenda on, the, on that day is different than a normal day that you would be at home. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like that day should look completely different. Like if you're just going to do the same day at home and in the office, I don't know that that makes sense because it's almost like the office and the home are just tools, right? And you're a carpenter and you're trying to build this beautiful something or other, right? Sometimes you need a hammer and sometimes you need a saw. When you need a saw, you go to the office. When you need a hammer, you just, you know what I mean? It's like, it just needs to be thought of like, it is a tool in your toolbox to help you do your best work. And collectively, how do we start to kind of, I guess, understand our space that way and understand it differently. And some people, some people that might, you know, the office might be like the healthiest day of work they can put in. Like you said, if they're at a dining table, they just don't have the space or, you know, they're in a noisy place. So there's that too. But yeah, I think this idea of thinking of it as a tool rather than as a, as like, a, well, you have to do this twice a week, you know, mm-hmm. that would be a huge cultural shift. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, we're social beings and even those of us that might consider ourselves to be introverts, there is something special that comes out of interacting with other humans in person versus over a video or on a phone call. And, um, I absolutely agree. I've, I've had personally had experiences over the course of the last three years where I've done certain, you know, I facilitated certain meetings I've brainstormed and, um, ideated as you indicated, Doug, with, um, my team's live in the office. And those have been incredible days. It's been productive. It's been great to see those individuals. It's felt worth my time to go in and get out of my office and and work with those individuals in person. So I think that was well stated. I don't know if this falls into um, what you guys do from kind of a, a, a workplace design perspective, but if you have any thoughts or insights on it, I'm, I'd be curious for you to share them, um, just around creating spaces that allow you to do more than work, such as corporations that are adding fitness facilities or wellness facilities to their spaces, spaces for meditation or napping, you know, just things that areas where we're not physically working or ideating. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is a huge movement. It it really supports this idea of workplace being more like an amenity or tool Um, to think that you show up at work and then you stop living. You're just working is, uh, is kind of an idea that's just gone now. Um, You take your, you take your life with you when you're at work. And so how does, how does work allow you to have that life inside of work? And that is that is something I'm I'm seeing a lot of. Um, you know, even even in other professions, not just work, but if you think about um, you know, like a, a hospital being more thoughtful about what they are offering uh the nursing staff, right? Where they, you know, it's a very hard job. And they would have to cry in the bathroom because there was nowhere for them to go, you know, if they had a difficult moment. Uh, And so really just being more thoughtful of the human and the human experience at work uh, has has been a big change. There's another one. um, There's another piece. There's another change that I'm seeing in work that's kind of fun to explore. I'm going to toss this out there because I want to get your takes on it too. I've been thinking about laughter at work. Okay. And if there was one metric that I could take, right? One measurement at work that would, I think, be the best indicator of your culture, the health of your people, the creativity, which by the way, I think creativity is the next big movement, right? Moving out of the knowledge economy into the creative economy, you have to have a creative company. Um, Laughter might be the most important metric, right? Laughter is incredibly healthy for you. It's also an indicator of vulnerability, right? Um, you're, you're indicating to someone else that, you know, you're open to new ideas when you're laughing, right? At the core of humor is connecting disparate ideas. It's the same thing that's at the core of creativity. And so I'm, I'm toying with this idea that, you know, I wish the Apple watch would measure laughter (laughs) because, you know, it's, it's healthier than steps. It's probably more important than steps. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's something that I've I've thought about. It's it's probably what I miss most about going to the office. 
like I never thought of it in that terms of like it's specifically laughter, but it really is, right? It's something would happen with a coworker every hour that something would make you laugh, right? And yeah, it's almost like the only time you ever are with your team, right, is on Zoom nowadays, and Zoom just isn't as funny. <laughs> no, just, no, it's not. Right, like it just can't be. Yeah, I mean that belly laugh is just absolutely critical to a great day. Mm-hmm. and a healthy day and when you think of the neuropeptides that are released in your brain after a good laugh mm-hmm. um and all the discoveries that were made and even the bad things that were stopped i was having this conversation with a workplace strategist that i'm close to uh reagan donahue and she was saying how um reagan and gorbachev right when they met and they were looking to end the cold war gorbachev in an interview actually gives credit to them sharing a good laugh together Mm. as to kind of a key moment uh, in the progress of diffusing the cold war like Mm -hmm. what if that laugh didn't happen Mm -hmm. you know and and think of every other you know maybe great laugh that probably doesn't get the credit it deserves in terms of shaping our workplace culture and our relationships and just how we feel for the rest of that day even Mm mm-hmm I think about, you know, you'll hear from um, psychologists that will talk about uh, relationship, you know, whether with your spouse or a friend and you're in like a heated debate and maybe you have um, like a safe word that you use, which is like pineapple, you know, to sort of break the heat of whatever, you know, the thick of it that you're in with that person and just breaking that up and saying something that causes you to laugh or giggle or break out of this intense emotion that, you know, negative emotion that you're having, uh, what get, what that can do to sort of mitigate, um, the conflict that's occurring in that conversation. And I also think about, you know, I've, I've been in the workplace now for over 18 years and some of my closest friends that I'm, I'm closer to than even some of my my college friends are people that I have met along the way through work. Um, And with friendship comes laughter. So I think that's well stated, Doug. Absolutely. And then we all know you're 10 times more likely to stay in a job where you have friends. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to, to Mike's point earlier too, I think with our video conferencing, this new culture of video conferencing, we don't have um we don't have like hallway time anymore. We don't passing time is the word I was looking for anymore. You know, so you might um bump into somebody in the hallway and have some small talk on your way to a next meeting, or maybe it felt more culturally acceptable when you're sitting around a conference room with people to maybe shoot the breeze for five minutes at the beginning of a meeting where now there's no passing time. We're going from one meeting to the next meeting. I think people feel like well, we just got to get to it. There's so much to do. There's sometimes less conversation and small talk and talk about the weekends and families and things like that, that used to occur when we were in person with one another. I know it. I, I, I feel the same way. And, um, that is what I look forward to most when I go to the office. So this week I'll, I'll be in the office for three days. I'm going to Indiana where headquarters is. And that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm honestly, I just can't wait to just see, see people and have those conversations. You know, there's, um, there was a shift in kind of that mindset that a company was, was having. And they were like, how do we build in these hallway conversations? 
this was when we were all tinkering, right? And uh, the lady was telling me, she said, we would, um, we kind of set an agenda to like call certain people every day. Like I'm going to call like three friends every day. And then she was like, it got to the point, like you would call and people would be like, what, what do you want? You know, like, <laughs> it was like, there was no, like, like, are you done asking me about my day? Like, what did you, what did you call for? what did you want? And uh, there is just something so formal in a call. And I don't know that it'll ever not be that way. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to be in person to have those moments. Agreed. Well, as we're kind of wrapping things up here, I'd be curious to get your insight on with companies still kind of navigating what's our future of work going to look like? You know, are we a, we are we a culture that's going to put our stake in this our stake in the sand and say, "Hey, we do want people coming into the office a few days a week at least for XYZ reasons." Um, or maybe it's a it's an organization that said we're going to remain really flexible and allow our employees to sort of choose where they want to work weekly, whether it be in the office or at home. How are you all in this kind of designing workplace spaces, navigating and consulting employers on like where they invest in workplace design with a lot of ambiguity about? you know, how much time people are going to be in or out of the office? Well, the way we're consulting is really um, trying to give them the most agile space possible. So uh, a lot of that comes with, you know, not the traditional stuff you used to see. So um, we're, we're looking at building creative environments out of wall, you know, basically demountable walls um, that can easily be moved and changed. Um, We're looking at creating um, individual environments on wheels that can easily move to different areas where you can form teamwork a lot easier uh, than you could in the past. So we're looking at ways furniture can kind of solve those problems. Um, and in general, I would say um, it's about it's about encouraging our employers to create, and our employers encouraging our clients to create a space for their employees that is empowering. So uh, that's a key word for us is if if the space is this kind of restricted formal area, um, it's just never going to be embraced. But if we're creating a place um, that's almost hackable, let's use that word, right? To where an employee can come in and use the same hackability that made them so efficient at going home. Like we were all forced to be great hackers when we got sent home, right? Now, how do we give empower people to have that same skill in the office, really build a place that works for them in that moment. I love that. Well stated. Mike, anything else on your end? I just, I just to clarify before we go, cause I, it's been in my mind ever since you've talked about it. And I thought it was just brilliant was for those people that are pushing hybrid work and pushing the return to the office. In communicating that to the employees, it sounds like, at least it felt like what you said is make sure that they explain why they're coming to the office on those days and make sure that what you're doing in the office is not necessarily something that you would be doing at home. Yeah. Was I following that right? Because it made so much sense to me. I just want to make sure that I heard your words correctly. Yeah, that's spot on. That's spot on. I think, and I think it, it makes a lot of sense. Because I have a lot of customers that 
and we talk about this all the time, right? And and even my customers that are in HR say, I don't know why we're making them come here, you know. And and so it's it's really an insightful thing that I can bring in conversation to those people. And I and I didn't want to make I want to make sure that I got your words correct. Um, yeah, absolutely. People are wondering how do we explain why people are coming back to the office if they can do it, the same thing at home and. I think what you said in terms of make sure it's not what they do at home, then it needs to be something different on why they come to the office. Absolutely. I mean, if they spent half the day just having coffee and joking and talking, yeah, you know, like that's really important. Yeah. That would still be a great day. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I, I, like I said, it makes so much sense because I, even me, it's like, why am I driving to the office to sit down, find a spot that's not mine? and answer emails and make calls exactly the same thing I'm doing at home. That's what makes it hard to go in. Yeah, it should be hard to go in then. I, I agree. Yeah. Uh, so no other questions, but I appreciate you clarifying that. Yeah. yeah. And I think to pile on to that, it's not just about articulating the why, but it's about following through on the why. Because I think a lot of organizations have articulated like, oh, I don't, you know, we don't feel like we're performing as well. So we want to get you back in the office so people can collaborate. And, you know, there's a lot of like buzzwords that I think are being used from executives on why they want their employees to get back to the office. But then their employees come in the office and there, there isn't any collaborating. There isn't any brainstorming going on there. To Mike's point, they're doing the exact same thing in the office that they were doing when they were at home. So I really think that it is the collective leadership team that needs to be really proactive on saying, okay, I've told my team, I want them to be in the office on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So on those days, I'm going to make sure that I have things planned that allows them to do things that they wouldn't be able to do as effectively, or it wouldn't be as fun to do them at home. I think that's so well said. That that goes back to that rhythm, you know, like how do we like, let's push off that Wednesday team Zoom meeting because we're coming in Thursday, you know, let's push that off and do that in person. Yeah. Well, and and Jess, I think if the why is because we're not productive, to me, then I'm going to the office feeling like I'm just going to do the same work I'm doing at home, but to be somebody over my shoulder, making just sure be that watched. I'm right. Yes. Yeah. So, Big brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think totally. that why is pretty yeah. important. And so, Doug, really quick on that note, should the why in this case be more creative focused? Definitely. I mean, I'm, I, so I don't know how much time we have. But I, I could get into a whole snowball of conversation on creativity. The bottom line is, I think our jobs are changing. In the next five years, 40% of the way we do our jobs right now will become, will change. It'll become more creative because of AI, right? We'll have to work differently. So we need to have embrace that sort of mindset, embrace more creativity in our work. And those are those most important moments of the year. They're going to be in that creative space, not just that kind of inbox work. Yeah. Well, let's have our audience follow you on social media to learn more about how you feel in the creativity stuff. And then we'll have you back, right? Once that comes to fruition, we can talk more about it. So can you tell our audience kind of how they can connect with you, Doug? Sure, sure. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, so uh, you can follow... Uh, imagine a place it's a podcast if you're interested in kind of the intersection of design and workplace um and then you could follow me really the best place place to find me is on linkedin 
Uh, and that's where I'll post articles and insights on, on workplace and workplace design. Can you tell them about the OFS website and where to? Yes. Thanks for the cue there. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, check us out on uh, www.ofs.com. And there's a really cool resource we have called U+. And uh, U+, gives people uh, kind of an insight into how you might prioritize your thinking around place. So it covers some of the subjects we talked about today. Awesome. And I'll just give another plug that in in uh, researching and preparing for this interview, I spent a lot of time on the OFS website and actually looking at the materials you all are using and the actual design of the, the furniture and the creative spaces. And it is incredible. It in, was inspiring, even though, you know, to think about it from even like a home perspective. And it looks as though you all have about um, showrooms in about eight different cities. Unfortunately for us here in the Minneapolis Twin Cities area, there is not a showroom, but go to the website um, to find a showroom near you. Maybe if you're traveling or have family in that area, you can stop in and check out their beautiful furnishings um, in a showroom setting. Awesome. Thank you, Jess. Really appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for being here today. Appreciate your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Great to talk to you both. Thank you for listening to this episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get this podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have any questions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcsherm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, please use code WHATTHEHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.